0: Welcome to Tea Talks Unfiltered, the podcast where we drink tea, we talk, and they're both unfiltered. My name is Jake, and I will be your host, and on today's episode, we are drinking whatever your favorite tea is, and we are going to be discussing how to properly behave in China. (laughs) Okay, so in a recent episode I did about tea culture, I talked about the subtle way of saying thanks. The, the light tapping on the table to show your appreciation during a tea ceremony. Um, and I really, really like this tradition. But after that episode, it got me thinking about all the different uh, kind of social practices, the etiquette in China, uh, especially with uh, Chinese New Year, the, the spring festival just happening this last week, all the different celebrations that are here, all the different traditions that are normal around that time. It just got me thinking about my whole experience in China and putting it underneath the uh, proverbial microscope, right? Uh, And I thought it'd be good to kind of explain all these different customs, the different traditions, these practices in everyday life, because there is quite a big impact on these long-term traditions like feng shui, the zodiac signs, uh, you know, with gift giving around the dinner table. I know I've talked about like the hierarchy and the family, uh, the names and titles, and how all these traditions kind of come together to create uh, chinese culture and how it's lived every day very very subtly um, but very very significant and important as well so i want to talk about that language that cultural language that's very much uh just a common thing every day an everyday conversation right so this will give you some insight into chinese culture But also, if you can learn these and put these into practice, if you're gonna travel to China, maybe you're learning Chinese right now, this is a really, really good way to kind of get yourself an in, you know, to be immediately accepted into any Chinese family. Uh, I know that it's one of those things that, you know, like for example, when in Rome, when in China, you like eat with chopsticks, right? Like if you can reflect some of that culture uh, back to everyone here, it's just a, a wonderful thing to, to, to share in that moment and share in that tradition. So we'll be breaking down, kind of going through a few of these different things, and I'll share with you some stories and some insights that I've had. I think, I think it's a really interesting topic, and, and Chinese culture is so uh, just diverse and so rich um, that it's a, it's a very interesting subject as well. So I hope you can join me. Oh. Ah, <laughs> Okay. So I'm still drinking the mystery tea. (laughs) Uh, I think this is going to be my last week. I have to, uh, uh, you know, hold myself back from uh, just depleting my entire store of it, but I've been drinking it pretty nonstop. So I think this will be my last, my last one. Um, And then after this, when I clean this out, I'll have to change to something different for a little while. So I don't just burn through it all. (laughs) But uh, I hope that you guys are enjoying some tea. Uh, still staying warm. I think it just was the first day of spring on the solar calendar just a f- two days ago here. Um, so nice weather around the corner. We had one more day of, of a big snow here, uh, but the temperatures slowly building up. So I hope wherever you guys are at, you know, it's it's starting to get warm. Unless you're in, you know, a different hemisphere, maybe it's starting to cool down a little bit too. So uh, either way, we're getting to some more uh, balanced part of the year hopefully so all right so talking about this subject uh i think the easiest place to start with is we need to start with the language when you start with the actual colloquialisms those those kinds of you know the way people talk here because there is kind of a lot of ingrained thing uh things that happen uh just in you know how people greet each other, how people talk, kind of the the approach to the conversation is really important uh, in Chinese culture. I've talked about a few of these things, like for example, I th- in a previous episode, I think when I was talking about uh, like becoming a shifu, about about the titles and the hierarchy of names. You know, in the family, there is that that really important structure, right? So there is kind of a layout. There's kind of a superior uh, person in each relationship, and there's there's an emphasis on honoring that relationship and, and kind of uh, respecting your elders and, and this kind of like tradition that's definitely one of the biggest things in China. Like it's very, very important to understand that and to have that kind of uh, participation in that relationship, right? Because you're reaffirming your connection to each other uh, by referring to them as your title. For example, if you're going to talk to your uncle, you use the title uncle, Um specifically on of your mother or your father um, and the age that he is in the family as well like all that comes into play uh, even more so if you're in a martial arts school like I mentioned before you have terms for your your elder kung fu brothers as well as your sifu your grandmaster even your kung fu uncles uh, right we all have terminology for those different roles right and there's a responsibility with each of those so I've talked about that in a previous episode I hope you've listened to that one the uh, how to become a Shifu, and I think just kind of sprinkled in throughout all the episodes. Uh, Not so many episodes yet, but it still seems like I've covered a lot of different material. So uh, I hope you guys are enjoying the conversations. If you do have any questions, you know, always feel free to ask. I, I like having a specific subject to kind of tackle. So... But some of the other things that I haven't talked about as much in detail is just the way that people kind of start conversations, the way people talk to each other uh, is definitely different in China. You know, for me coming from the United States, coming from America, you know, there is definitely like a, a more. Mm, how should I say, like there's more of a guideline in the conversation here where there's kind of a a traditional thread that it always takes, like a a direction that you start. Whereas in the West, especially in the States, it can be very, very casual. Uh, Sometimes you, I don't really remember even referring to some of my friends by their name for like a very long time, regardless of title or any, any kind of, uh, you know, kind of responsible relationship. It was always, always very casual, right? Here, very, very structured in some senses. Um, It doesn't have to be, but again, having that connection is really, really important, especially if you're doing like a business deal, or if you're in a family, or if you're in a martial arts school, okay, these relationships are very, very important, right? And they have kind of uh, social implications as well, right? But some of the other things that I haven't mentioned as much is just just the everyday kind of simple questions that you might receive, right? So I'm going to speak a little bit from my own experience. I know like being here, uh, I get the kind of purified form of questions. Uh, not not that they're like uh, censored. I mean, I mean purified in the sense that I get all of the questions, right? Because it's like a brand new conversation. A lot of times I end up being one of the first or few foreigners that a person maybe has ever talked to. So I tend to get like the first and most important questions that come to your mind um, from a Chinese perspective. But these questions are also the questions that you know they ask everyone right it's just like now they're excited to be able to ask them to someone from a foreign country (laughs) so i've I've had i've answered a lot of these questions a lot (laughs) um one of the one of the greatest things that you'll have asked you which is kind of like the opening to a conversation is is uh which just means have you eaten uh, which I, I think I mentioned before in some other episodes, but I always think that this is like one of the greatest ways of of saying hello, of just starting a conversation with someone is Have you eaten? Have you eaten yet? And because it just implies this kind of care, right? It shows that you know you're 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 considering that person, like making sure they're comfortable, making sure they're they're kind of uh, just just well set, and they feel at home wherever they are, right? So this is something like even you walk by someone on the street, like where in the English, it's very much like, uh, how's it going? You know, the the only response is good. (laughs) You know, you're just supposed to say good. uh, Or if you're not feeling good, you say fine. (laughs) But that's about as far as you go in the conversation. And this will be the same thing. Like you walk down the street and someone could just say, ask you, have you eaten yet? And you could just say yes or no. And that's almost the whole conversation, right? Like that could be the the passing greeting that you have on the street uh, for someone that you know. Um, and it's just that way of kind of like showing that they're like looking out for you kind of, um, but we'll also get to later in the episode about just the dinner table in general, how important it is, uh, for Chinese culture in so many ways. And so I, you see these implications in the way that people talk to each other as well. So that's like, I think that's kind of like the, uh, the way of telling, telling people I love you (laughs) in China sometimes it's like where I'm from in the Midwest. Oh, sorry. Where i am in the midwest um you know we always ask people you know when you're leaving and you're going home it's like uh for example you'll say something like oh when you get home call me you know make sure that you got home uh or or when you go home you know look out for deer on the road uh these kinds of things that you say in kind of midwest of america and these are always kind of like the way of saying like i really care about you i want you to be safe you know like make sure when you get home you call me like i want to make sure you're okay Uh, It's like that subtle way of saying, I love you as well. (laughs) And so, you know, they have these cultural kind of uh, conversational suggestions that I think are really nice. And they're, they're really cool to pay attention to, because it gives you kind of an interesting insight into just the everyday workings, the perspective of everyone, right? Um, That is another thing, because here, um, I think I've also mentioned this is, there's not really a common occurrence for saying things like, please, and thank you. Um, and, and and I love you specifically, especially within a family, like a family unit, right? It's just, it doesn't seem as common. Not that people don't say please and thank you. Like people are very polite and welcoming, but it just seems that uh, when you're inside the family and you have those close relationships already established, there does seem to be, especially in the more traditional families, this kind of you don't necessarily always have to say please for everything. You don't say thank you every time someone serves you. Uh you don't necessarily say I love you that often it seems. And I think that a lot of the times like I've I've even done this uh within the family like if a if a family member does a, a favor for me or or goes out of their way to do something I I do uh I've been brought up to say thank you and and be very polite and have this etiquette, right? But then I've also had them say, like, stop saying thank you. (laughs) I've had people say, stop saying please. Like within the family, uh, they explained to me that it's just that these things, while they're not expected, there is kind of like this established connection that doesn't necessarily require it. But it is kind of like, you know, I'm helping you because you're you're part of me. Like you're so close to me that. You know, I have to do this because it, it's making me feel good too. You know, like, so you don't need to say thank you. You don't need to say please for everything. I know when I first came here, I mentioned this before, uh, of saying the polite version of, of hello and the polite version of different terms. And no one ever really does that unless it's in some kind of professional, um, relationship. Okay. There's a little bit of a standard for that, but in the everyday kind of personal relationship, it's less so, Right. And so I think that's kind of another nice little thing where it's just, you don't need to say these things a lot because they're implied because there's this, um, not just giving and receiving, but you know, there's always that intention of, you know, I'm looking out for you in some way. Right. And so I, I, do really, really like, um, this kind of habit, I would say this connection, Although <laughs> there are a lot of things in China that will be a lot more direct uh, than most people are used to, right? So you'll get asked a lot of personal questions, uh, as seen by Western standings. Like, for example, the the famous questions uh, you'll get asked. You know, how uh, how old are you? You'll get asked how much money do you make? You'll get asked, or why aren't you married yet? Why don't you have kids yet? Uh, you'll get you'll get kind of these these very, very direct, in, by Western terms, sometimes very personal questions asked, right? Like, how much is your salary? Uh, that's a question that will come up, you know. Uh, how heavy are you? Or maybe not necessarily direct questions, but direct references. Like uh, Chinese culture, there is like this um, idea that I think is really important is just the amount of people that are here, for one, makes it so there isn't really a private bubble, always right there isn't this idea of there is private space of course but but in the social world there is kind of this definitely a smaller bubble (laughs) right and so there's there's less personal space in some sense uh to where you're not really stepping on someone toes all the time by asking these questions again it's not necessarily culturally encouraged um but it does happen uh quite a lot You know, you get these very direct questions and it's not really seen as aggressive or or, you know, bad for you. Um, There is an aspect of saving face as well. So there is this kind of idea of making each other look good and, and trying to have good relationships with everyone. But even with that in mind, these questions aren't crossing that border. Right. You're not you're not stepping on anyone's toe by asking these really direct questions. Right. By Western standpoints, if you ask some these questions, it'd be like, oh no, you don't, you don't talk about that. You, know, you don't talk about uh, physical appearance directly to somebody. You don't mention these things. You don't talk about people's age or weight or, or marriage relationship status. But because of kind of the, the history of China about you know uh, marriage relationships, the importance of family, the importance of um, marriage and, and these social ties, because it's such a prominent uh, thing in everyday life there is a big drive of that in the conversation right uh, definitely every day uh, if you're in china and you're over the age of 25 you will get the question once a week at least uh, from people you know people you don't know <laughs> you know why aren't you married why don't you have kids uh, you'll get this question all the time and again it's 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 kind of uh, private from a western standpoint but it is also kind of the way of like, you know, they're of trying to Chinese people trying to encourage you, right? They're trying to encourage you. They're trying to, they're trying to help. It just seems in a direct way sometimes, right? Uh, but I, I I I do like that. I do like the the kind of investment, though. Uh, it can be done very very nicely. It could also be kind of intense when you get the question all the time. But again, uh, all in good all in good uh, um, good intentions. <laughs> Uh, a few other things that are, are, are that come up a lot in conversation are kind of moving away from some of the social stuff. Um, some other things that do happen are, for example, you'll get asked quite often uh, what your zodiac is, right? So in, in China, we have a different uh, zodiac. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are more familiar with it, but it doesn't go month by month like the like the Western uh, kind of the, the the zodiac of Taurus and Virgo and Aquarius and all these, it goes by year, right? So you have rotations uh, every twelve years. You have a full rotation of different animals. You know the rat, the ox, uh, the tiger, the rabbit, dragon, snake, horse. Uh, these 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 animals, right? And each animal, it's it's very similar. The zodiac does have like certain numerological, numerological uh, i can't say that word um implications it does have like certain relationships that are uh, you know better or worse for you there's you know certain years that are more beneficial to have business and good fortune and and places where you need to have risks like it's very similar to uh, the zodiac it's just on a more uh, large scale right but that's often a really early question you might have in a relationship with someone. Is they might ask you what your uh what your zodiac sign is and and sometimes i think that that's like a nice way of asking how old you are uh, because they're not really directly asking you because uh, it's not always the question that comes up there's still kind of a little bit of uh, hesitation about that question sometimes so it's like they'll ask you what your zodiac is and then they can kind of figure it out discreetly <laughs> um But that's always a really nice thing. Uh, It comes up all the time, and I I think it's kind of like when people are trying to gauge a relationship uh, and just kind of learn a little bit more about you, they do take the zodiac very seriously Um, and and, and kind of understanding, you know, what that means for your personality type, uh, when you're born, so like how you were raised, uh, maybe even the social connection that you two might have because specific animal pairings are good together. And and that is given a lot of uh, credibility in China. I I I really like the zodiac system. I find that it's it's not vague enough like some of the zodiacs that I've read in the past, where it can just be applied to everyone. There are like really specific um, connections that it will make to to business. Uh, really very specific connections it will make to social connections. Um, and I, I think it's a it's a really really very rich history of that and i think that there is something there there is something that um, that can be applied and kind of learned from right so zodiac system that is something that will come up quite often and if you're going to be traveling in china if you're going to be having these relationships it is really good to be kind of familiar with that just on a basic level even um, because People will ask you that people ask you what your zodiac is you can ask them and it's kind of a neat uh, bonding experience where it just gives you a subject to kind of talk about or 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 kind of uh you know uncover together so which brings me to maybe the biggest um tradition in china that's just underlying the fabric of everything is the lunar calendar okay the lunar calendar which is why you know we refer to uh, chinese new year as the lunar new year or spring festival uh, normally happens around you know during the during the new year kind of period celebrated on the lunar uh, calendar so it kind of fluctuates every year normally somewhere between like january 20th february 10th somewhere in that area uh it moves a little bit because the lunar calendar is more stable uh, and because of leap years in the Gregorian calendar in the western kind of uh, calendar because of the shift in it every year it always kind of ends up on a different day it kind of switches around um but if you have like a chinese phone for example the calendar underneath the calendar it gives you the date in the lunar calendar it's like a just built-in feature so you can look at like what is the lunar uh, kind of cycle right now um, and there is a lot of importance on that like there's a lot of uh, How would you say like fortuitous days that are mentioned. There's a lot of days that like, if it's a good luck day, there'll be a lot of marriages that happen that day. Like there are a lot of arrangements that are built around the lunar calendar because it is the way that people are tied into nature um, kind of culturally. And so the the lunar calendar is kind of the more balanced system for seasons and kind of the, the fluctuations of your environment, right? Uh, so we, we we follow the lunar calendar, um, but that that spreads into, like I said, for the zodiac. Um, it also goes into how you plan things, how you arrange dates, uh, how you look at your birthday. Right. So your birthday normally will be go off the lunar calendar, which makes it super complicated to figure out someone's birthday because it changes every year. <laughs> um, and someone people use the excuse to get two or three birthdays. Uh, but if you can figure out someone's birthday on the lunar calendar and be able to remember that. It's like extra, extra street cred, extra brownie points, right? Um, and another interesting thing with the lunar year, uh, we do call it Chinese New Year. We call it the Lunar New Year. Lunar New Year is definitely more clear because that gives the idea of that, you know, coming around the, the cycle of whatever, I think it's 12 or I think it's 13. I'm not exactly sure. Um, 13 months. But then when you go through a whole system of that, you know, you have a full lunar year and we refer to it as Chinese New Year. I, you know, I think people have adopted Spring Festival and Lunar New Year to be more inclusive because China is not the only country, um, that celebrates the Lunar New Year. Of course, a lot of Asian countries do. Um, I think that Chinese people just, it's just kind of because that's what it's really well known for, uh, becomes Chinese New Year. But, um, there's kind of this semantic issue in, in, uh, and PC kind of modern communication that has to be inclusive, but um, China doesn't really exclude anybody from celebrating. It's just like uh, the terminology that kind of developed, right? Uh, after all, China is known as the the center country, right? So it's very much kind of involved in being the hub of connection for everyone. Uh, so I think I think China takes a lot of pride in that as well. So Chinese New Year, fine acceptable lunar new year also acceptable okay Uh, maybe a little more clear i suppose spring festival again the beginning of spring Uh, but from there there's there's so many traditions that happen around this period right so you do have like the the day of of course you have the fireworks to kind of bring in the new year Um, that's that's very similar you know kind of scaring away bad spirits and omens and and kind of uh, awakening the energy of the new year. Very similar. I think that's kind of uniform all all across different cultures. If it's not fireworks, it's it's knocking on wood. Um, it's making loud noise. It's banging pots and pans. Even in some cultures, like there, there's always that kind of that kind of idea of of making noise to cleanse a space or burning something to cleanse a space. Right? There's always some kind of uh, connection to the environment where you're kind of establishing your presence, <laughs> whether it's in a a location or a time period, right? I think that that's that's, that's pretty uniform. Uh, but there's other traditions as far as like uh, not sweeping or washing clothes on the first few days of the New Year's, uh, because you don't want to give away your good luck, right? You don't throw things away on the first, second, third day, uh, because there is kind of a period of uh, retention where, you know, where you have to make sure you don't, you don't throw away uh, your kind of New Year, right? You have to hold on to it for a little while. Uh, The firework thing has kind of changed a little bit because I remember when the fireworks would go off before, there'd just be a mess everywhere. Um, And lately they've kind of cut down a lot on that in China and kind of uh, started to regulate it a little more because it was just so many people and so many uh, fireworks that some of those traditions have kind of shrunk and they become more internalized or they've adapted. Uh, Like right now, instead of doing fireworks, you can can buy uh, strings of balloons. And what you do is you you wind the, a rope, and it pulls the string towards you, and as the balloons come towards you, they pass through like a tunnel that has, you know, sharp objects like nails or something like that, and it pops all the balloons, right? And so you just pull this string, and they come towards you, and it's very much similar to fireworks, except for all of the mess is contained to one little area. <laughs> and a lot easier to clean up, you know, not, not going to be really wasteful as far as like smoke and pollution and everything. So there, there are like ways that some of the traditions have adapted, but they're still practiced, right? Um, but again, the biggest ones around the dinner table, uh, celebrating, um, you know, going to the graves and sweeping them, cleaning them, putting new incense, uh, burning, burning fake money. Uh, burning even even different things like fake clothes, uh, you know all these different models of houses, uh, special items you want to give to your loved ones in the in the next life. You know there's still this uh, kind of honoring your ancestors by returning to the grave during Chinese New Year, but also during special holidays, uh, certain times of the year to clean their space uh, and and offer anything you know like that could be used in the next life. So there's, there's these kind of traditions as well, which all have to do with the lunar, uh, calendar. So they'll come up on different days, different periods, um, and, and they're practiced, right? Uh, yeah. And Chinese new year is, uh, is just full of practices, right? Like Chinese new year will, will happen. Uh, like I said, kind of late to early, uh, January, February, uh, and then it'll go on until the first full uh, full moon, the first kind of moon cycle, uh, which is called Yuan Shao Jie, which is the 15th day of the new year. Uh, this year, it'll actually be, I think, next year on the, I think, or next month, sorry, uh, next week. <laughs> next week on the, I think it's actually going to be on the 15th, because new year was on the first. So we'll have Yuan Shao Jie, which is the the first full moon, It is the small circle holiday. Uh, and you'll eat you'll eat this um, kind of sweet ball soup. Uh, you could have like bean paste or the peanut uh, peanut uh, sauce or chocolate. Even they got lots of different kinds and prepared in a soup, warmed up and really really good, really sweet and kind of like the. I think that that's that's kind of like the the finishing uh, celebration of Spring Festival, um, and then everything starts to carry back on. But Chinese New Year can be a a pretty long <laughs> holiday. <laughs> um i know like uh, my daughter selena she got off school uh oh wow it's been a couple weeks now already she's been out of school i think like two or three weeks now uh, she'll have right right after Xiao Jie, she'll go back to school so there is a pretty big winter holiday you know of around a month uh, that everyone gets off um so there's quite a lot of travel a lot of people return to their old home because they go back to their parents they go back to their family um if they need to visit the graves of their ancestors, um, you know, have this kind of social connection, and very much, <laughs> the whole country is traveling at this time of year, so it can get pretty busy. I think I think it's even known as the the world's largest human migration <laughs> every year, and it only gets bigger and bigger because travel is getting so much easier every year, right? There's more uh, high-speed rail, um, more airports being built. The infrastructure for road uh, construction in China is is very 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 big. Uh, so every year, there's just it's easier and easier for people to return home and to travel. Uh, the quality of life is getting better. So all these traditions are very much alive and practiced a lot, um, especially around New Year's. It's maybe the the most important holiday, right? But there's a few others. You know, you have your Dragon Boat Festival. You have your Mid Autumn Festival. Um, kind of like your harvest time of year where you eat mooncakes and a similar kind of party. Um, you have your your kind of political holidays, you know, at the beginning of May, the beginning of October. Um, yeah, they're kind of scattered out throughout the year. A lot of smaller ones based on uh, personal holidays or family birthdays and things like this as well, right? And all of those will be celebrated um, and they all kind of have their own unique tradition based around them, right? Um, yeah, also one of the biggest things with lunar calendar is probably with weddings, right? There is a lot of numerology, uh, and even though arranged, uh, marriage isn't necessarily always practiced anymore. Like I do know there are some places that, you know, there is very much like a family practice of, <laughs> of finding the proper spouse, uh, for their kids. And so there is kind of like the family does have a hand in the relationship a lot more (laughs) than it does in the West, Uh, which is again, why I think your elders, which is why people you know in China will ask you questions like, why aren't you married? Why don't you have kids? Uh, These kind of things, because there is this, this still kind of leftover tradition of the family having a hand in your relationship. It might not necessarily be that they, they sign away your, your marriage while you're still young right? Like that, that there was arranged marriage at one point. And it would, it would be looking at the lunar calendar where they would decide that, you know, this, uh, person is a good match for this person because of their birthdays, because of the time of the year, uh, because of this kind of, um, uh, cosmological connection, <laughs> right? Uh, cosmic I should say cosmic connection right and 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 so there are like these histories of arranged marriage but because that's not necessarily the practice and people do have their own kind of preference is definitely more important now Uh, it's not always just signed away when you're still young but there is that leftover kind of interest and investment of the family in your relationship right and so you know sometimes relationships can go pretty quick if the family is not behind it. (laughs) So it is really important to have like a good connection, uh, with the families before sometimes the, the people even consider having a relationship, you know, the family is looked at first. Uh, I know that's a big thing here where like in the West, it's very much like, like revolution, like the, 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 you pick your spouse and the family has to deal with it. And there is a lot of like, you know, a lot of jokes about that and about you know mother-in-laws and and how there's always these kind of disastrous relationships of course played up in in modern media uh so it's always kind of the second thought right like you have your relationship and then you have to figure out how to balance the family but here it's very much the the family has to be balanced first uh or there's really not much potential for that connection right it can still happen but again those traditions are still while not fully practiced there are kind of this inherited uh, kind of filtered down version of it similar like the fireworks like they're adapting but they're still present right so that that's pretty important when you get into weddings of course there's a ton of practices there um a lot of them still do the uh you know the the fireworks the celebrations the uh, serving of tea to your uh, new in-laws there is normally a was a, a dowry so when you when you uh give money for the bride there's still this kind of thing it, it's adapted into kind of a more uh, playful experience it's not necessarily like giving the family uh of the bride money and 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 livestock and rice and things like. That. it's not necessarily that but there is kind of this like you have to pay your dues to the family <laughs> when you get married and so the the husband goes to pick up the bride Uh, from their family's house and to get in the door they have to they have to throw money through the door and when the family thinks it's enough they open the door but then you have to go through the the bedroom door as well (laughs) and so there's there's a whole bunch of traditions around around marriage in China Uh, to dig into that we might I might save that for another another episode um, because I have some interesting stories about that that's that's pretty intense Um, but again you can you can just see like the the practice there. Uh, the tradition is still very much part of the daily conversation, right? Very much so. Also, with New Year's, there are a few things like you know you have your good omens, um, and so not not for the squeamish, but there are things like you know having a a chunk of meat, you know, having like a a pig being slaughtered at the beginning of the year, for example, is a pretty common practice, especially in the kind of villages and and traditional families that'll be like the family will purchase it and even in some cases the family will go to do the slaughtering right and so that's like normally a pretty auspicious way to begin a new year right um, because you do that and then it's not only the event of doing it with the family but also because everything is used uh, of the pig you know from blood to organs to 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 the the ears and everything is used and in that sense there's kind of this idea of of nothing is wasted everything is is appreciated and and kind of um you know not taken for granted right and also shared with the whole family often the extended family right so there's a lot of gift giving there's a lot of practices there's a lot of kind of tradition tied up into that as well because that is kind of like the the very old school thing that would be done um it's still passed down and carried into today, right um, not always every single family, but I do know it's even if you're not doing the actual slaughtering, there is kind of the idea of around this time of year people are stocking so they're they're buying meat and drying it uh they're kind of replenishing their stores in some way right, and also offering gifts uh to family members mm, you know in the in the in the case of rice alcohol the uh, tea um the essentials right the the most commonly used uh, necessities of living in china it's always seen as very uh, a very good relationship when you offer those things because you're kind of giving them not necessarily what they want you're giving them what they need like to you're like improving their quality of life directly right with those gifts so those are always really nice um yeah and 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 just to go further into that just for a moment with the Everything tied into the lunar year. Everything is very much tied into the the cycle of change uh, in seasons, in the time of year, in the weather of each day. Um, everything is very closely tied to that too. So you'll hear people commonly talking about like the 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 solar cycle of the year, like the the change in the solstice, um, the the different season changes. You even got things where it's like today is the awakening of, of the insects. Uh, this is the, the first day of frost, you know, this is the, um, the, the slight cold or the, the climax of young energy of the year. Um, the driest day of the, of the year, there are these things that are kind of laid out in the Chinese, uh, 24 solar, um, calendar points. And that's a really interesting thing to look at as well, just to kind of see the connection that most, um, uh, chinese kind of families have to their nature directly around them right kind of very again looking at those 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 markers of the year to say uh, like you know now we know that this is happening so we need to start uh, our harvest we need to start preparing for winter we need to be adjusting right and so there is kind of that direct connection to the environment which i think is really nice like it's a it's a good system to have that connection with um I think sometimes in the West, everything's so disconnected and everything's so climate controlled, uh, literally, that uh, we often don't really pay much attention to the weather and only in the sense that we have to get through it, right? Uh, We have to tame it in some way. Uh, Here, similar, but again, more about alignment, more about finding that balance, right? yeah and that balance uh brings us right into feng shui but uh real quickly before i get into that i do want to mention if you guys uh, are interested in these kind of conversations if you have like more detailed questions uh specific subjects you'd like to go into or uh like for example those 24 solar uh seasons if you want more information on those uh more resources and 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 you know more uh Kind of places to direct your attention to. Join us on the Discord channel. I have a—it's a, absolutely free Discord channel called the WuDang Community. Uh, there's links in this video if you're listening to this through YouTube, uh, but you can also search on Discord with that just for WuDang Community or or the Ways of WuDang. You should be able to find as well, uh, and you can join the the community, join the group. Uh, there's places to ask questions. There's resources that are archived there. Um, just to give you lots of study material and another way to kind of connect you to Wudang, uh, especially because travel is still um, restricted. Uh, those, those, those rules, regulations haven't been lifted yet, uh, so I'm hoping that in some small way I can bring a piece of Wudang, a piece of Chinese culture to you wherever you are. So if you're interested in these kind of subjects I'm just kind of touching on throughout this episode, uh, do join us there and, and you can get a lot more kind of access right? And a lot more uh, perspective and, and especially resources on these different subjects. So I try to share kind of the things I've read, uh, different books, different articles, websites, uh, different things like that. So there's kind of a dedicated um, forum, if you will, uh, for all those different subjects and and a bunch more as well. So uh, Ways of Wudang or the Wudang community on Discord, join us. All right. Um, yeah. And then after that, I just wanted to mention real quickly of course feng shui so you really can't do much of anything without addressing feng shui uh, in China like this this goes into uh, the practice of architecture um, how how buildings how banks how hotels how cities are laid out, also how your personal house is designed. Um, you know, feng shui has to do with, you know, wind and water and the proper circulation and influence of both, right? So because everything in China has to do with these two elements, you know, we have to talk about the history of China controlling the rivers of China and how each one of these rivers kind of can cause a lot of flooding. It can cause a lot of turmoil to Uh, the cities that are built around them there is a very big cultural implication of uh, what it means to kind of i don't want to say control necessarily but to definitely to to tame uh, the rivers and the waterways once that was done uh, that becomes the the place where china historically grew because now uh, because these these systems of 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 dams and and, and barges and and also just the the taming of these rivers was established. Now there's no potential danger here anymore and everything can flourish, right? Because trade, uh, irrigation, farming, all these things can happen a lot more uh, streamlined, right? And so there's a really big cultural idea of balancing uh, your workspace (laughs) to protect against the uh, potential dangers of things like wind and water, right? But this idea uh, went a lot deeper in practice and became kind of the way of balancing not just the physical sense of of water and wind, but also the, the kind of energetic uh, influence of those as well. And so very much like balancing the forces of energy that come into your home, right? And so there's a lot of examples of this, and feng shui is a very big subject that I'll probably dedicate in episode to in the future to go in a little more detail. Um, but just to say that, you know, everyone kind of establishes this balance in their home, you know, how, how things are laid out, um, the arrangement of, of tables, um, the room layout, the, the objects that are put in there, like the furniture, things are laid out in a certain way to create a, a balance that promotes a good energy, right? You walk into a room and you feel welcome, um, but you're also not losing energy, right? Like certain things can't face the door, um, certain things should be oriented uh, in a way that when guests are there, they feel included in the activity, right? So there is kind of a a conscious awareness of of the how would you say home (laughs) of the of the homestead of the layout of your your inner life right Uh, feng shui again i think those kind of relationships tie into the the family hierarchy and this this titling as well everything is structured right and so it goes from you know just how you communicate with your relatives all the way down to how you you know design your bedroom um but again it's very very much on everyone's mind and having those best optimum conditions is very important right so feng shui is something that will will be practiced and kind of even the lay person who might not be um, very very well versed in these practices even they will have some kind of um connection to it right like even they'll be aware of it or they'll maybe even hire someone to help them design or or consult with someone on like what would be the proper or or best condition uh, to arrange something right whether it's a wedding you know whether it's a a, a new house uh, whether it's a new career opportunity, all these things will be balanced in some way. So feng shui has to do with the more physical representation of your home uh, or business. Um, But again, it's another way that um, people kind of have that conversation about the culture just in their everyday life. So feng shui, really, really important. So now I'm going to get to what I would consider <laughs> probably the most important uh, cultural place <laughs> in China, and that is the dinner table, okay? Here is where relationships are made and potentially broken. <laughs> so there, there, there's just so much of Chinese culture that is, that is just centered literally around the dinner table and food and drink, okay? Okay. So we've talked about tea, we've talked about, you know, how that is conducted and the relationships that can be established there. Uh, but I want to specifically talk just about the dinner table, about food etiquette. Um, I know that this is a, is a big thing, um, especially for Western students coming here. I, I think I've had this talk quite a bit with my own students, um, with my family, you know, like talking about different things like this, because it is definitely, it's the one thing that no matter where you are, you do, you, you, you do, you have to do. Got to eat, right? There is this, uh, uh, of course, social connection there because meals are taken as a family, right? Um, I don't even think that it's a it's a very common thing at all to have meals that you take to your room or or you sit at a living room, watch TV. Like, while this might happen during holidays, especially because it gets pretty rambunctious. <laughs> um, generally speaking. Every meal is considered a family meal, you know, even, even like breakfast, going to a restaurant or something like that. Like there's there's more and more now, I suppose, with especially with like delivery options, there's there's more of like a individual based meal thing. But generally speaking, if you're at home, every meal is a family meal, right? Especially here in Wudang, right? Like everything, you know, even the school, everything happens together, right? And optimally, I think that would be what everyone would prefer in China is just having all your meals be a very big, dedicated part of your day, right? Uh, breakfast happens early. A lot of people don't cook breakfast. They typically go out, um, but they invite people to have breakfast. They meet people, uh, they chinka, they, they which means you you host somebody. So you would pay for someone to come with you. Uh, not like a stranger. I mean, like your friend, right? Like, so you would pay for breakfast and there's not very much of this splitting the bill that ever happens in China. Um, People fight passionately to pay the bill. Uh, The higher price the bill, the more hard they fight. So there's, there's very little of this uh, uh, calculating the bill and splitting it because everyone's equal. No, it's I'm paying for you and you better like it. <laughs> so there's there's definitely like a big culture of just that. Okay, so which I think we have to talk about as well. Um but in general the dinner table is where all these connections are established essentially, right? Uh, whether that's business uh happens over meals, whether that's family every day around that table uh or even, you know, whether it's a special occasion like a wedding you know you'll be served I, I went to a few weddings and I'm I'm typically served food during the wedding which is always a strange thing because you know they've kind of adopted some Western practices of, of marriage um, just to kind of create it more of a kind of party atmosphere but the ceremony is happening a lot of times during a banquet, during a, during a, during a, a meal. <laughs> so everyone's being served food while, while the ceremony is happening. Uh, but everything happens around food. Everything happens around food all year round. Um, depending on where you are, that might change, but like whether you're eating hot pot, where you're eating a hot meal out of a, out of a community, uh, kind of soup pan where everything's cooked individually, one by one, you know, together you eat communally with chopsticks so there are dishes that sit on a table that might uh, revolve around and you serve yourself but everything is done as a group right Uh, unless you're like in a business in a cafeteria type setting okay there are individual portions okay there are this as well but for the most part most restaurants are set around this kind of like family meal uh, standard uh, even when you go out right so it's like you share you share dishes um, so I that that is yeah very very important to understand the context. But not just the meal, what you're eating and 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 that kind of connection that's established there from, you know, paying the bill to inviting people uh to, you know, brokering business deals uh, while you break bread. All these things are important. But even the structure around the dinner table, right? So, for example, Uh, The sitting order, how people sit at the table, is very important. Uh, For example, if you're going to stay at home, there is typically a a VIP position at the table. Uh, If you're at someone's house in the West, there always seems to be like the host of the of the home normally has their kind of established seat. Um, In China, that position would probably be like dedicated or forced upon whoever is the eldest whoever is in the most like high status position the the guest at the time it could be different depending on the the situation Uh, but typically there is kind of a best position and there's a few rules for this so basic rule if you have kind of a balanced layout in your home would be the uh the north position right so the highest position but most of the time, what's followed would actually be the point farthest away from any, how, how should I put that? The, the farthest away from any movement. <laughs> so if you have a restaurant, for example, that would typically be the farthest away from where the food is served, right? Uh, kind of the back of the table, in a sense. In that position, they're, the, they're, they're kind of the focal point of the room, uh, so when you enter, that's the they can see everyone at the table. They can see kind of the, the forefront. And also anyone who enters the room, they're kind of the first face you see. They're right in the front. So it gives them kind of the optimum seating. Uh, also, if someone's serving food, there's no food being served next to you, you know, so you don't have to continually move <laughs> at the table to have, you know, the dishes be uh, laid out. So there's kind of like a VIP position, right? Again, it could be the elder. It could be the leader in the situation. It could be Shifu, for example, if you're in a martial arts school, uh, could be your guest, but there is kind of a, a a proper seating, and a lot of times it'll be forced on people, and you also have to make sure they sit first, so they're kind of taken care of and they're comfortable. So there's kind of like a you know a haggling for that position as well. <laughs> also, when you do start eating, that pecking order <laughs> does carry on. Um, so if food is served a lot of times the first serving will go to that person, to your guest or to your, 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 your VIP at the time. Right. And so there is kind of this, you know, you know, trying to always be the best host, always trying to uh, make the guest feel the most welcome, you know, serving things for them, you know, offering the first bite, the first drink, um, giving that position of honor to this person. Really, really important. And it can be kind of frowned upon in some circles to just jump that order or to uh, not pay attention to that because it's so ingrained in just the fabric of social gathering uh, if you don't pay attention to that, uh, it can be really seen as you know improper uh, and not appropriate you know you're really gonna you're really gonna mess up your your connection with everyone if you don't understand these things right you know. I know that when we travel with Sifu for example it's always you know trying to put all the decision into his uh control and and allowing him to kind of have the, the most important position and Sifu's had this for a while you know he's has disciples he's he's traveled you know he's been the guest quite the guest of honor quite a lot uh, and I remember we traveled in Beijing and we did this and everyone knows this practice and we're all martial arts students, you know, we're all training all day. And I think food for us is the (laughs) most important thing, even more so. Um, whereas if you want at the time, if you wanted my class to participate in an event or uh, some performance, or you want us to do something for you as a favor, the number one way to ensure that happening was to offer us food (laughs) because food was the currency right it was the it was the the best thing that we could have at any moment Uh, because you know you train full-time like that it's just you're never really full (laughs) so uh, we would go out and eat with sifu and of course everyone's frothing at the mouth waiting uh, for the meal and we would always kind of position everything in front of sifu and wait for him to recognize and wait for him to take a bite so we could start eating and I think Sifu sometimes does it as a test and a challenge, but also at a certain point, he just takes a bite and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, you guys just eat, just eat. Don't wait, don't wait. You know, so there is kind of this, um, there are moments where it's not necessarily essential. It's just the appropriate way of kind of expressing your care once again, right? Of course, the more you can you know, bring these traditions into your practice, the more you can, you know, if you learn how to use chopsticks, if you ask people, have you eaten, if you invite people to meals, if you call them by family names, uh, if you do these kinds of things, and you understand, you know, you know, when their birthday is, you, you, you've you learned the lunar calendar, you, you can pay attention to some of these uh, kind of fortuitous days and events of the year. It's just a really great way to connect yourself to the culture and also see all the little ways that it's influential in the everyday life, right? I think dinner table is one of the most important places uh, to see those practices because it's where everyone connects, right? Uh, alcohol is drank in China, typically at meal times, right? It's not necessarily always where people have beer and, and get together and hang out at a bar. There is some of that, but I think the tradition is definitely uh, dinner time is, you know, drinking with each other. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll see in some books like the, you'll substitute rice and have alcohol, beer, uh, rice wine, uh, baijo, things like this. Okay. So there is some of that. Um, it's not, say, essential, but it definitely is like during holiday times uh, more common, right? And, and so understanding that kind of how to serve, uh, if you're going to cheers with someone, uh, there is kind of that idea of, of bringing your cup lower than their cup when you, when you touch glasses just to show that, you know, oh you're trying to honor them, you know, holding things with two hands when you're served, uh, to say thank you to also show that you're, you're very appreciative of this moment, uh, offering, um, uh, offering kind of uh, toasts to people so you know toasting to people's health and wishing them uh good holidays and good fortune and and good luck and things like this is all very very common and and really essential especially during those social gatherings around the dinner table right and so just so much of family life and and business life and and those social connections happen around the dinner table it's 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 really important to have those connections and and to nurture them, right? Uh, not only will you establish a good relationship with everyone, but you'll also get great food all the time. So definitely necessary information. <laughs> um, but lastly, just to go into that, there you know there is the practice of gift giving in China, um, and I think that. Besides all these little things of just kind of showing how you care, there are like there is still the practice of bringing gifts to people, uh, especially around holidays. Um, less around birthdays, uh, things like Christmas, birthday, um, these kind of things less uh, common. Starting to gain more popularity, but typically gifts will be given around birthdays and New Years and and big holidays like this. Uh, getting a new house. Uh, having uh, a baby, you know, all these kind of really big events are often seen with the gift giving of, of red bags. So that is the, the, the go-to tradition in China wedding. Again, the, the dowry, giving the red bags to the family, red bags full of money. Um, so that's always kind of seen as the best gift, the most uniform tradition, I should say. Um, Again, sometimes during holidays, you know, you do have, like I mentioned, the, the essentials, you know, people do uh, bring uh, fruit. You know, they do bring like the apples are seen as a good luck uh, symbol. But also, again, send it around the dinner table. If you are traveling somewhere new um, or somewhere far away from your home, a lot of times you could bring the, the delicacies of your uh, area in China. You know, bringing special food, special fruit, special vegetables even. Um, that are difficult to find or are different quality bringing those to a family bringing tea bringing oil uh, bringing milk uh, bringing rice all these things are actually pretty common gifts uh, especially if you're traveling right you're returning to your old home or you're visiting extended family or friends Um, that that's 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 a really common gift as well but usually red bags is the 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 go-to right I know my mom, when I first went back to the States, uh, with my wife, she knew some of the traditions, you know, uh, they had all practiced up on their chopsticks so we could have meals together. Um, and I know that she like also prepared a lot of things in red bags, even if they were presents, they would be red paper, you know, so everything was always established. And it was one of those things that really did to this day, uh, means a lot to my wife. Um, and that's always, like, a really good way to just, you know, take doing that extra step to show um, that consideration, that care, right? Uh, that makes people feel really, really welcome here. And it's really, really important to the, the, the fabric of culture um, just to have that connection, right? It's kind of like an ICU moment. Uh, you know, you're taking care of that identity. Because if it's one thing, China and Chinese people are very, very... Um, they very closely identify with their culture, right? And it means a lot. Uh, if you look at the language in China, there's a, there's a written language designed so that all of the different parts of China can have a, a written format to communicate with each other, right? And now we have, okay, we have Pudonghua, which is Mandarin, which is the common language, literally means the common language. And that is kind of like the standard now, Um, but the reason the written standard was established was to connect everyone and allow them to still have their individual dialects right so everyone who knows about chinese especially if you're learning the language you know that chinese has some of the 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 out of languages in the world go it has some of the biggest uh, variations in dialect right uh, you've got like your Cantonese, but you also have you also have like old home dialects. You have like local, regional dialects, um, where even from here, I could travel an hour away and be in a part of China that would be maybe difficult to communicate with each other um, for at least a little while, if they didn't speak Mandarin. Right, the writing would be uniform, but because that spoken language can be preserved a little bit. Uh, from district to district region to region uh, province to province, there is a lot of identity tied into that there's there 's colloquialism there 's slang um, there's terminology that would be used slightly differently or pronounced differently even and and that is a very proud point of the Chinese identity is having that uh, connection to your community right that 's really important. I mentioned China is the uh, is referred to as Zhongguo, uh, which means the center country, right? That is, you know, how we say it in Chinese. That is the Chinese name. Um, of course, China is the English name that was given to it because of porcelain and things like that. Um, but the name of China is Zhongguo, the center country. And it is very important to Chinese culture to have that connection, not just to their own individual uh, kind of regional location, and history and community but also to take into consideration the connection that that inspires um, throughout not just china but the neighboring countries and today around the world right Uh, china is very very proud to have a rich uh, like the most the most well recorded historically um, culture and to be able to have these practices that not just benefit and give them identity and structure and, and promote their well being and quality of life, but also that other people can practice. And, you know, it's not something that, well, maybe it was designed here and established here historically, it's something that can be incorporated into all walks of life, you know, all ages, all seasons, <laughs> you know, all geographic locations everything has a time and a place in Chinese culture. And I think, and I hope that that unspoken language is becoming more universal. And I hope that people can continue to study it and learn from it and incorporate it into its daily, into your daily life. Because a lot of these traditions, while they have very structured, uh, Uh, how would I say, like, you need to seriously study them to understand them to their deepest potential. There are ways that these traditions have been passed down, and they've been filtered and purified into everyday practices, that even without knowing and being able to recite large philosophical treaties, or being able to memorize classical texts, or alchemical charts or the solar cosmic connections without being able to recite and do all of this divination there are aspects and and pieces of that practice that have made its way into you know your home it's made its way into your dinner table it's made its way into your relationships uh, and into the way that you perceive the world while living in china and i think that those practices can really benefit um, you wherever you are listening to this podcast. (laughs) So I do hope that these things continue to be uh, practiced and learned. And and hopefully some of these things can be brought into your life um, because there are so many things we can learn from them and so many ways that we can connect uh, to ourselves and our community and our environment once again. Over the centuries, they've been filtered down into their most pure aspect, but the guideline has always been to direct you towards some kind of balance, uh, some way that you can achieve good luck, longevity, and happiness. And these three things are very much in line with my hopes uh, and aspirations for this podcast are... Uh, hopefully i'm offering a little bit of light <laughs> uh, a little bit of perspective and some new thoughts for you so uh, with that i think there's nothing left to say except uh here's to finding that balance one cup at a time Gombe. <laughs> thank you for listening to this tea talk be sure to subscribe and join me every Tuesday for new episode releases available wherever you get your podcasts. You can also view the video version of this podcast on YouTube and support The Ways of Wudong through Patreon. Keep the conversation going with hashtag TeaTalkUnfiltered or connect with me directly by joining The Ways of Wudang on Discord. I'll talk with you next week for another cup of tea.